Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One note before we begin our podcast, we discuss a comment made by Rashad McCants of the Guilds Arena podcast about European basketball. Um, I attributed that to Gilbert Arenas. It was not Gilbert Arenas who said that it was Rashad McCants. It's a quick note before we get started. In this edition of the Hoopsology podcast, Matt and Justin welcome back former co-host of the No Dunks podcast, Lee Ellis. Lee left the No Ducks podcast to pursue his quest to play pickup basketball in 20 countries. And Lee discusses how his journey has progressed so far, the fun and popularity of European basketball, improving this year's All-Star game, and many, many more. Lee is always one of our favorite guests. If you just want to see and hear how popular the game of basketball really is globally, this is a podcast you don't want to miss. Hoopsology is presented by Ball's Life. And now, Lee Ellis. He is the former co-host of the No Dunks podcast, and he has traveled around the world to play pickup basketball in 20 different countries. We welcome back Lee Ellis onto Hoopsology. Welcome back, Lee. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. And it's great to kind of catch back up on your journey. We Last time we talked to you was in May of 2023. Um, you're in the middle of just your journey. It's just an amazing journey, um, envious, to be honest, of, of just the countries and the experience you have had. And I believe you're still in the middle of that journey of um, playing basketball in, in 20 countries. Since that time period when we first spoke to you, can you kind of summarize kind of that journey in terms of how it's been for you, the pitfalls, the responses you've gotten from all over the basketball world? What has that been like for you? It's been amazing. It continues to sort of unfold before my eyes where I sort of have an idea where things are going to go and where what things are happening. And then so many things just spontaneously occur as well. And uh, yeah, May last year, I think I'd just gotten back from Istanbul and was about to go to Konos in Lithuania for the EuroLeague Final Four, which was just a mind-blowing experience. I mean, if you're a basketball fan, uh, I highly recommend a trip to Europe and, and experience some EuroLeague games because it's a completely different atmosphere. You know, I mean, look, the EuroLeague, it's obviously, in, in terms of the players, it's not the same standard as the NBA. It's not far behind. It's close, but it's not the NBA. But the, in terms of the crowd and the passion and the cities and the culture and history and all these other factors combined make it such a great experience because you've got not only sort of teams and player rivalry but you've got cities and countries that have got history and you know like this there's so much at stake in every single game um and it's just a really really fun experience so i got to be there in lithuania for the first time last year and uh i couldn't i couldn't have asked for a better final four too i mean i was kind of seduced in a way because real madrid you know they only just made it into the into the final four there they had to come back from 2-0 down in their playoff series they had to beat their biggest rival, Barcelona, in the semifinal. And then against Olympiacos in the final, they were down the whole game. And Sergio Yule hit one basket for the game, and it was the tournament winner. So, uh, you know, the, those that sort of like culmination of events, you're just like, oh, my God, this is the greatest tournament on earth, you know, for things to come together like that. Uh, so that was a fun, you know, career professional experience. And then uh, shortly after that, I went out to the Manila, uh, Manila and Tokyo for some more games and some more action 
And uh, wow, my first time really setting foot in Asia and had spending some time there. And it was just uh, another great, great experience. The passion in, in the Philippines is stronger probably than any other country I've seen for basketball. I mean, they absolutely love it. If, if people say when something's passionate, it's like a religion, whatever that sort of next level above that is, is how the Philippines feel about basketball, boys, girls, men, women, uh, everybody. So I got to play out there. I got to play at Tenement Court, which is an incredibly historic and iconic court there in the city. Um, and then I got to play in Tokyo as well, which was just the coincidence on the on the way back to Atlanta, where I live. I had an 18 hour layover in Tokyo and I thought, well, I'm not just going to sit around the airport and, and wait for a flight. I'll see if I can go out and get a game. I messaged a friend I have out there. He said, he said, well, all my friends are away. It was the middle of summer break. So a lot of them people were away. And he said, but I'll tell you which court to go out and play. And I went there and, and had, had a great game there. So that was amazing. And then not long after that, I went to Iceland, which was the complete opposite weather experience. You go from the, the steamy heat of the uh, of, of Central Asia there to Iceland, where it was like, you know, minus two degrees. <laughs> so quite the opposite. But uh, really, I was really surprised and impressed at just how passionate Icelandic people are toward basketball. I, I'm, I'm amazed. I think a lot of us just assume a Nordic country like that would be a hockey, big hockey country, but it's probably hockey's probably fourth. Maybe they have uh, soccer, football, basketball, handball, and then and then ice hockey is their games, which is very very interesting. Um, and and another crazy thing, in Iceland, in Reykjavik, there, there's a guy from Philadelphia, and he makes the best chicken wings I have ever eaten in my life. This guy is a phenomenal chicken wing dude, and we were there, and he knew me from the show. And he said, you know, you want some wings? And I was, you know, you're sort of like, oh, yeah, I'll take two of these, two of these, two of these. And he says, that's it. And I said, well, you know, what? you, you give me whatever you want. And he laid out this incredible platter of like chicken wings. And they <laughs> were mind blowing. I mean, I'm not even a big wings guy, but if you are, get up to Reykjavik because you're going to experience the best ones you can ever have. Um, and so that was great. And then I was also in Mexico City uh, for another really fun adventure. Uh, Mexico City, I, I had this vision that it was going to be just chaos and crazy traffic and loud noises and everything. And, you know, to to some extent it was, but not quite as 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 disorganized and chaotic as I imagined. Um, and again, the food there was just, uh, I have another friend out there. She took me out. And anytime you go with a local, anytime you go with someone from that city, they take you to the place that's just like the best. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be the most expensive or exclusive. It's just like, this is where the locals go because these are the best tacos in the city. And uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So I've been so far this year into up to New York City, but I'm going to be in Brazil in about a month for the uh, number 20, for country number 20 on the challenge to play basketball in 20, pick up, uh, 20 different countries. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that because originally I was only going to do 20, but I'm at the point where I have so much interest and so many other outstanding offers that uh, I'm just going to keep on going and, and keep on riding this wave as long as I can. That's amazing. You mentioned Mexico. Um, I went to Mexico back in 2006 and I was completely surprised how passionate they were about basketball. I mean, there's games on, on a regular primetime television of different Mexican leagues. So um, they're, they're truly passionate about it. Um, Lee, I want to ask you, there was a podcast that took place. I saw today of Gilbert Arenas. Um, they were talking about kind of the WNBA, but they brought up this basketball in Europe and it was kind of haphazard, really ignorant comment on their part. Just talking about how basketball in Europe is boring and how they, they know the fundamentals. 
And I just want to ask you, do you think, just you, you cover the NBA, is there a kind of like an arrogance that Americans have, just the fans, the players of just, I don't know, almost like this kind of ownership of the game of basketball and, and being pretty ignorant to other parts of the game around the world? Because when even when there's a Luka or a Giannis or Joel and B, like a lot of international players that are clear are talented and clearly can be the face of the NBA at the global game. But there just seems to be kind of like this, you have to like prove themselves more compared to just somebody coming out of college from America. Well, I, I think, I think it has to be the, the person who makes that comment rather than a generalization, because sure. I've certainly met Americans who feel that way, but I, you know, to, to sort of like say the entire country does, I mean, sure. that's, that's, you know, that, that's, <laughs> uh, that's where you get into trouble because that's then fair. you sort of, start these wars so if, if Gilbert yeah. Arena said that it doesn't surprise me that he would say something like that because I'm sure he hasn't been there I'm sure he hasn't experienced it and you only have to look at a couple of stats and facts right now Germany are the world champions of men's basketball it, it doesn't it doesn't matter which USA team went out there if it was the third stringers Germany won the last tournament the USA finished fourth and you only have to look at the current uh, last five MVPs of the NBA of the men's league all born outside of the United States. The current finals MVP was born out of the United States. For me, it's not about a battle of, hey, this is America's game and America owns it. It's the global game and we should all embrace it. And, and it's stronger for, uh, makes all of us stronger. And so to have a sort of ignorant sort of attitude that like, well, it's America's game. We're the best. Remember the dream team. We've got Michael. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was all true. It used to be clear cut that America was the number one uh, basketball playing nation for men and women around the world but you know that that doesn't that's not the way it is anymore but again that's not a criticism of America it's it's more a reflection of how the game is everywhere and the United States will always have that sort of appeal that every team wants to take on the United States you know they, they, it's not the dream team but it's still the powerhouse it's still like Brazil in soccer Brazil hasn't won the soccer world cup for 20 years but I can guarantee almost everyone, if they win the World Cup final, they want it to be against Brazil because that's the sort of standard bearer. And I think the United States in basketball is the same. In fact, I spoke to Kevin Durant on uh, Friday night here in Atlanta and I talked to him about uh, Paris and I said, KD, you know, you've played in Olympics, you've played in World Championships, you're 35, like, you know, what, why do you want to go out there and play in Paris? And he's like, hey, national pride, you know, I, I, want, I want to return America to its position as the dominant basketball uh country and, and go and get that gold medal back so I, I love that competitive passion but one thing i really enjoyed about the conversation there with kevin was he's like hey i'm going to paris man i'm traveling the world i'm playing basketball for my country and i'm also getting to travel so i love that you know he's someone who's embracing being in a different country and learning to experience that as well so he's more than a basketball player but there's always going to be some people who just have that you know stubborn belligerent arrogance for whatever it is we've got the best pizza you know we've got the best coffee you know where people just refuse to to move off their uh off their position and those that stubbornness is not a strength that's a weakness if you are so you know determined to be like my mind cannot be changed then I feel sorry for you. And if you're going to make comments like that about European basketball, when you look at, again, I, I would say with almost certainty, the uh, MVP of this season is not going to be an American born player again as well. Exactly who, not sure. And maybe Tatum or someone does win it, but you know, European players are no longer intimidated or just role players deep in the bench rotation players. 
Victor Wembanyama was the number one pick in the draft, like uh, well over 12 months before the Spurs uh, chose him. So the most NBA teams now are like, hey, if there's talent out there, we don't care where it's from. We just want the best players. And uh, and that that's the way it is. So look, Gilbert, I mean, if you were to sort of go through his podcast, there's lots of crazy stuff he said. And uh, it, it's, dis- it's just disappointing to me that someone would still take that like, you know, we're the best, no one can touch us approach uh, when it's simply not true factually or statistically anymore. Well said, Lee. And piggybacking off that, you recently had a question um, back in December, I believe, for Coach Mike Malone that touched on how well players from the Balkans are doing in the NBA. And he gave what I thought was a great answer in that they are learning basketball, like truly learning basketball, not just getting a big volume of basketball and games played as, you know, may happen in, in the AU. You know, of course, individuals vary. I'm sure a lot of great coaches out there. Um, but I, I wonder too, if, you know, some of this, trend that we're seeing, like you mentioned, the five most recent MVP awards and things like that. If this is all just purely downstream of they saw the dream team back in 92, and now they have been truly getting educated at this sport while, you know, we have been in some respects, while we have amazing talent here in America, no doubt, we've maybe been just kind of setting our ways and sitting on that talent for a while rather than kind of uh, growing the game, I guess. I definitely think there's something to that for sure. And I think um, Malone's answer, I agree, I thought was really, really educated, informed, and coming from a place of, you know, accepting like, yeah, Nikola Jokic, if you look at him, he's not the best athlete. He's not He's not the, you know, hulking, ripped muscles, bicep, you know, guy like that. But he knows how to play the game. And he truly epitomizes that teamwork where it's like, if I'm, if I've, if someone's double teaming me, I'm looking for a pass. You know, he, Nikola Jokic doesn't want to score 35 points a game. He could do that if he chose to, but he's way more interested in making sure that Michael Porter Jr. gets the ball and Aaron, Go- Aaron Gordon. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to Aaron Gordon is playing with Nikola Jokic. All he has to do is run to the rim, you know, and the, the funniest yeah. thing is yeah. when I watch yeah. Nuggets highlights, the amount of times you'll see like, uh, you know, Porter Jr. or someone there, they're, they're not even, they're not, they don't expect the pass. And all of a sudden it's just right there. And like, all right, well, I better shoot it, you know, like, so uh, that that's the thing um, with, with someone like Michael Malone, who's, who's clearly in a position to comment on, you know, just the impact that a player can have without necessarily being the fastest or to, who, who can jump the highest, but he understands how to play. And if you look at the finals last year, I mean, they just dissected the Miami Heat who are known to be a tough defensive team and Jokic just uh, picked them apart. So um, I I think that, you know, Malone is able to sort of see that if you're a good player and you can utilize your strengths in whatever form they are, you're going to impact the game. And some guys are super athletes like Aaron Gordon. I mean, he's a super athlete, but he can't really shoot. I mean, he's not a great shooter by any means. Jokic is the opposite, fantastic shooter and scorer and has that ability to just like figure out ways of, scoring you know creating new shots things that many coaches probably don't look at and go well this is a play that we're drawing up to get that shot Jokic sometimes just has those remember the game winner against the Warriors a few weeks ago there that you banked it in from nearly half court um so you know that that I think is the difference here that 
you can be you can play a lot of basketball and this was malone's point but if you're not being taught why you're playing that way and how to play properly then it can have a negative impact and you can find that more players are sort of individualistic in the sense because it's like well i'm skillful and talented and fast but if you don't know how to play in a team it doesn't benefit the team as much as someone who may be less talented but understands get everyone involved and and, and keep that ball moving yeah it just seems like there's an obvious parallel there and i don't know if you've noticed the same thing curious to know your perspective in terms of aligning that with what we've seen over years and years of football or in america soccer you know in terms of i i know that even in australia i believe there are some athletic academies where you know young athletes will start honing these skills specifically and i just wonder if if they kind of uh, many countries anyway, took sort of that formula and just plugged basketball into the mix. And now we're seeing all all this greatness from all around the world. Yeah, I think so. I think the Australian Institute of Sport is, is what you're referring to there, which yes. was created about 35 years or so ago. And and they the, the focus being like, if yeah, young kids who are talented, they would bring them there, work on their sporting uh, you know pedigree, whatever that was, but also then have their daily school routine and and sort of prepare them for, you know, when you can see that talent, you, you, you sort of want to prepare them to be ready to be able to handle media, to be able to handle, you know, sponsorship and endorsements and, and all the things that come with fame and fortune where it's going to be a lot harder to, to manage that if you're not prepared to do it. And so I think that's what certainly what Australia tried to incorporate and they've had enormous success with that across various sports, uh, you know, the Olympic games and cricket and tennis and, and, and basketball as well. So, yeah, I, I think, I think that's the thing is like, you know, when you have a talent, it's one thing and it's important to utilize that talent as best you can, but you also want to try to create more rounded individuals as well. So that people don't think that their, their only life is whatever that sport is in basketball. And I think you see still not just in the NBA, but a lot of pro sports, you know, players who might have earned hundreds of millions of dollars during their playing career are bankrupt five years later, you know, because mm. they they haven't been taught how to manage their money. They haven't been taught how to handle fame. And they haven't been taught that like, hey, you're getting these paychecks of maybe four or $500,000 a week for 10 years. But guess what? After that, the, the TV paychecks are nowhere near the same. And, and, and you've still got to pay off houses and cars and your friends and, and, and all that. So there's so many, there's so many things you have to educate you, you know young people on that knowing that their uh, sporting talent won't carry them forever on the field it's guys like Shaq and Charles Barkley you know they've made hundreds of millions of dollars more in their media careers but they're the exceptions rather than the rule you know most other guys kind of like they get to the end of their career and sometimes you know sometimes their career might be over 30 you know can you imagine at 30 years old True. you've just earned you know 100 million dollars and then it's like now what do you do now how do you fill your time and, uh, you know, so that that's a problem across many sports in many countries, but certainly within Australia and now other countries I know are trying to prepare athletes a little bit better so that they don't face that, uh, you know, that sudden drop off. To your point, Lee, I saw Josh Smith just the other night watching that Hawks Clippers game talking about enjoying retirement and, right. <laughs> you know, just kind of mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, how old is he? Like 37, 38? Maybe? Yeah, probably Something younger like than that. me, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, the, that's the thing. It's like you have so many other options as a, in, a, in the basketball world, maybe as an assistant coach or a scout or, or, you know, as a coach as well, the media. But 
some players, I guess, are also just like, you know what, if you're if you're content and you don't have to do anything and you've got all this money and you're not blowing it, then why not just uh, kick back and do whatever do whatever you need to do every day? Oh, totally true. Um, Lee, going back to your travels, um, do you have any like wild stories or <laughs> just bizarre things that happen? Can you, what's your kind of thing that comes well, to mind on your, I, your travels? So I think I think probably the funniest, or not funniest, but the 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 most incredible experience I had was in Manila when I met this girl called Kat Tan, and uh, she goes by the one arm Mamba. And uh, the reason she goes by that is because she had her arm uh, severed when she was 10 years old on a roller coaster. Uh, I mean, just a devastating, devastating moment in her life. And um, one of her friends, I think two of her friends, in fact, died in the accident. So oh my goodness. You, you think about, you think about the things we deal with in life that aren't really that much of a problem, but we make them into a big problem. And here's this 10 year old girl who loses an arm at that age. And, you know, you could quite easily see someone like her sort of spiraling into drugs and addiction and alcohol at her age. She's now 38 years of age and she's the opposite. She plays basketball almost every day. She goes out there and she competes and she's got a smile on her face and she's like, I was blessed for this life, whatever, whatever the reason it happened to me, I feel that this was meant for me. And so she just takes her life now missing one arm and doesn't want any sympathy or pity or anything like that. And so in terms of inspiring stories, uh, she's amazing. And going back as well, why she's the one arm mama, she's met Kobe Bryant three times and Kobe was wow. inspired by her. And there's an incredible moment from the last time Kobe was in the Philippines in 2013, where he had a camp, you know, the Mamba camp. And the first day the camp was like 800 kids. And then it got down to like 300 and then hundred. And then the last day was 24 kids. And Kat was one of them. And at the end of all the, all the drills and the training that they had done, Kobe threw out one last challenge and he said, right, I want someone to shoot a three pointer. If you knock in the three pointer camps done, we go and eat pizza and have a great time. If you miss, everyone has to run. We, I would call them suicides where you sort of run up and down, you know, the court. They, he called them mm-hmm. 17. I'm not sure. Anyway. And so he wanted a volunteer, you know, so Kobe, everything's riding on it. And Kat's like, I'll do it, you know. And so Kobe's like, all right, you can do it. But, you know, I'm not giving you a second chance. Basically, you know, like or the same sort of, uh, you know, situation for her as it would be for any of the other ones. And Kat steps up swish as clean as anything this three-pointer the crowd was <laughs> crazy kobe you know you imagine being kobe bryant who at that stage of his career had won five championships you, you know we all knew him to be the legend he was he still had a couple of years to play in the nba but he wasn't quite in his prime anymore you, you know you think of his athleticism and the things he could do on the basketball court and and, and how everyone was like oh my god did you see this dunk or whatever and th- in that moment, Kobe was just like, like we are watching him or Michael or LeBron throwing down one of those huge dunks. It was just like, I can't comprehend what it was like. And Kat did that as a girl with one arm, with all that pressure. She took it all on and she nailed it. And, and I got a chance to meet her and interview her and talk with her. And I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring her back here and say, you're just going to live with me now. I just want, I just want you with me because of the energy that you give off. And, uh, you know, the, the person you are is so inspiring because, as I said before, we all have these things in our life that we that, we, that bother us and it's like, God, oh, it's nothing, man. Like, you've got your health. Your health is your most important thing. And this girl, 
from 10 years old and she didn't lose consciousness when this accident happened so her arm just clean cut off and it's like wow. how do you how do you not you know how does that not traumatize you forever and uh and and i played with her and we're on the same team and uh, oh man she she's so cool and i didn't even know her until i got to manila i didn't even know the story about kobe in fact quite a few people who have now seen the the video that i put together with her are like i never knew that you know so it's crazy that something so big with a with a star like kobe didn't really make mainstream uh america here and so uh you know but that's to me why you travel as well for those sorts of stories and experiences and, and moments and uh man she's awesome i can't wait to see her again i don't know when it's going to happen hopefully this year i'll be back in manila but uh yeah she she's one of those people that you just you go right if i'm having a bad day i, I watch my interview on my pieces there with cat and i'm like all right my day's not that bad um lee i want to ask you about your work with euroleague basketball and what what stuck out to me you mentioned earlier is the passion of the fans it's one of the reasons why i got into the premier league and la liga and so on and i'm wondering two questions kind of for you one give a synopsis of just what the league is like and number two do you kind of see this league like what do you think is this future is it going to be self-contained within europe or are they going to take more of a premier league approach and try to branch out to the united states um they have a tv deal i think with nbc sports the premier league does um do you see euro league kind of taking that same approach and branching out um, to the north american fans well it's on espn3 right now okay um so so they do they are certainly trying to attract the audience and i think the appeal is that yes again the standard is is not quite the same but there's way more to it than just the game sure. you know you see everyone's seen those viral videos in in athens and belgrade where the crowd is just you know it's it's a wave there and it's awesome and i've been a part of that in belgrade and istanbul and, and lithuania and, it, and it's it's everything that it sort of looks like it's going to be uh you know when you see it on youtube or whatever it, it, it's it's an amazing experience and I think what makes what helps to make those experiences really cool is the fact that there's a, it's a shortened season. They don't play as many games in Euroleague as they do in the NBA, but every game feels like there's stakes on the line. It feels like there's something to play for. And that's where the passion comes, where the fans know I've got to hang on every single basket here because this could be the difference between a playoff and then final four berth. And if we lose tonight, and then we may have to face our biggest rivalry next week to try to to win to to you know continue you know, climbing up the table there. That's what that's what makes it so passionate. Like in the NBA, one of the criticisms I've had is there's too many meaningless games. I mean, there's just too many games where you just go, it just doesn't matter. And so when there's nothing at stake, it's hard for a fan to get invested. And, and and as you know, there with the Bulls, I mean, you know, you you if if they're going through a season where it feels like, all right, we're tanking now, your passion, you can't fake that passion. You can't turn up there and go, oh man, we got the Pistons tonight. I, I gotta, you know, this is like the rivalry in the '90s. It just doesn't feel like that anymore. And so the thing I know will never happen, but the NBA needs to find a way to reduce the season so that people feel that every time they go to a game. There is stakes in this game. There is something that the players are playing for. And I have suggested, I know, again, it's not going to happen, but I've suggested taking a soccer approach. Adam Silver brought in the in-season tournament this year to try to replicate a Champions League or an FA Cup type of competition. I, I, I respect the fact that he's trying something, but I think the real problem still in the NBA is teams tanking, where they're just like, oh, our season's done. Let's just see if we can get a high draft pick. Well, 
in the Premier League and in all the soccer leagues, if you finish in the bottom three, you get punished for that. So you get booted out of your division and you go down a division. So in the NBA, the lower down you go, the chances of getting the best player increase. And I think, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't be rewarded for these bad seasons. So I would make the last two teams with the worst records. I would say you don't get a draft pick or you pick 29th and 30th in the draft so that teams the teams aren't then going, oh, okay, well, we can just mail in the season from now. Instead, they're like, well, we've got to compete to the very last day or else it's going to be even harder for us next year because we won't have the draft to bail us out. And if you can do that, I think then the competition from these teams at the bottom and the temptation for the franchises to say, oh, just rest our guys, man, rest them. We don't, we don't want these wins. That gets lessened because teams know if we don't win, next year is going to be even harder. So that's where I would focus. Again, it's not going to happen. The draft is kind of locked in and that's the way it is in the NBA. And, and you know, the NFL is the same, you know, and with teams' worst record, then you, you get the draft to save yourself and give yourself a chance next year. But as long as you're motivating and incentivizing losing, you're going to have a problem. And and that's that's where I think it is in the NBA right now. We've seen so many teams. We've got the trade deadline here next week. There'll be teams making trades for contracts, not for players, where they're like, we'll take your contract because we're just we're done for the season. And I just think that's a terrible message to send to your fans who are paying, you know, a couple hundred bucks these days for a ticket. And it's like we're 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 playing our second stringers and we don't really care. We don't want to win. Well, why would you go to a game? Why what's the point of going to a game if the team that you're paying to see is not even trying to win the game? Are you for a relegation then in terms of with the G League expanding? Yeah. Would that be possible? No, because I just I don't think there's a comparative league like it is in 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 Premier League soccer. Yeah. You know, that that's historical where it's like, you know, it's been that way forever. And it and it works because there is quality everywhere. And that these other leagues around Europe, the NBA doesn't have a the G League's not even close. You may as well then you relegate a team to Europe and take one of the European teams. Now, so that's the thing. So it doesn't have to be the same model. I think you just have to make it work for what works in the NBA. And and again, can you imagine if, you know, the Spurs last year and and, and who was the other team? Um, I think it was the Pistons who, who've had the second worst record and finished yeah. fifth draft. You know, that to me, that's like, great. You weren't, you sat Kate Cunningham down way too early. Now, if he's injured, fair enough, but it always feels like, ah, yeah, just in case, sit down and then we'll trade for this guy and then you sit down and we're going to play guys who no one's ever heard of for the last 10 games. Well, you should not be rewarded for that. You should be, hey, man, you were so bad. You didn't even compete. You don't get a draft pick. You're going to have to figure this out yourself through free agency, through trades. And until you get out of that rut, until you compete again, then, and the other thing I would change is the lottery and make it a real actual lottery so that all the teams that don't finish in the playoffs they go into the first draw to pick the number one pick. And then the teams that did make the playoffs, then they can come in after that so that they don't get the first pick, but they can come in after that. And so again, there's no one just trying to increase their odds of getting a high pick by losing. I think that's the wrong mentality. Lee, wanted to ask you about, I know you had a chance to speak quickly with Steph Curry uh, about the upcoming three-point contest between Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts about this format and this kind of this branding of NBA versus WNBA. 
What are you looking forward to with that? And what do you think that's going to look like? Uh, I think this is a great idea. I, I really do. And I, and, and I really admire and respect Steph for saying, hey, let's do it. Because look, you know, there are obviously the the idiots online who are saying, oh, you're going to lose to a girl and all, you know, those, those ridiculous misogynistic comments. Whereas Steph knows this is again, bigger than basketball. It's like, hey, Sabrina's a pro. She's got the record. I've got to go out there and compete. And this is just bringing everyone together. Basketball is for everyone, boys and girls and men and women. Steph's a father of two daughters and a son. So to send that message to his own girls, like, hey, man, when it comes to basketball, it, it's not something that we can't do together. We can go out there and play and have fun. And it's, again, it's a friendly competition. You know, giving Sabrina a chance to, to legitimize what she did and say, you're going to now go and do it on, on the, you know, on the men's stage, on the biggest uh, all-star platform for the NBA. I think that's just so cool. And I think it's awesome. So the, the NBA, we know as well, the all-star weekends, they need to do something to freshen them up, especially when it comes to the dunk contest, because I think that's kind of, you know, they've run out of ideas there. And the game itself on the Sunday night hasn't really been competitive for a while. They've tried to incentivize that. They've tried to make it, you know, pick teams and things. The only way that's going to change is if the players decide to try. There's there's no gimmick. There's no incentive. You can't pay them $10 million and say, go out and try now. It's only down to when the players try. And I would love to see that again. Everyone understands. You don't expect them to be like full court press from the from the opening tip. But don't let just like when a guy's going to lane, just stand out the way and let him lay it up. That That is not fun basketball to watch. That's just like watching, you know, a pregame or a training drill. And so if the players compete, All-Star Weekend is going to be awesome. The three-point contest, you know, Steph's going to be doing it with Sabrina and then it's going to be the, the main competition and then the, the dunk competition. It's all about the, the effort that the players put in behind it. And uh, the dunk competition, I mean, I, I wish some of the other players that we know, Mac McClung, no disrespect to him, fantastic job last year, but we would much prefer if that's a Jar Morant or a Zion you know, the big star players. I mean, mm. back in 87, 88, when I first started watching it, you had Larry Bird with the three-point shootout, Michael Jordan and Neek and Spud Webb, you know, guys, literally the biggest stars going out there uh, and, and competing on the stage. That's what the All-Star Weekends needs. You know, they need the big star players competing in the big events. Couldn't agree more, Lee. Pleasure to have you on the show again. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would, please let our good listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and everywhere. We're very excited to see the next country on your journey and then future countries after that. Let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, fortunately on Instagram, I'm just my name, Lee Ellis, L-E-I-G-H-E-L-L-I-S on uh, Twitter too, although, you know, whatever Twitter is these days, who knows, uh, <laughs> but YouTube and, um, TikTok, I'm Lee Ellis 76. So, uh, slight, slight change. I couldn't quite get those handles that I would have liked, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, follow the journey and, and wherever you are listening in the world, if you want me to come out to your country, slide into the DMS, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to all offers and suggestions and ideas and going to try to make them all happen. Love it, Lee. Safe travels. And thanks again so much for joining us on the show. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Lee. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology, presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. 
Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.